Good morning. morning. First of all, I just want to, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for just allowing me me to be here this year and just as a church for setting aside funds for this internship. Um, Yeah, I've made lifelong friends this year and just seeing your guys' faithfulness to the Lord and and to our church, like it's just been so encouraging to me and um, yeah, thank you for allowing Pastor Ross and Pastor Kevin to spend so much time with me during Tuesdays and Wednesdays and even other days of the week. And Ross and Kevin, thank you for mentoring me, sacrificing your time. Like, I know not, I not only learned a ton, but I just got to experience so many things. Like, this, this year has been incredible. Um, yeah, like, I, <laughs> I'm so glad God directed my steps here. And it all started with two summers ago, Pastor Kevin, he was like, he just asked me if, I'd consider doing an internship, and I had no clue what after Bible school was going to hold for me, and I prayed about it and considered it, and there were so many unknowns, but man, I'm so glad I came, and uh, yeah, so again, just thank you. I just want to say that, um, yeah, you guys mean the world to me, and <laughs> I've just made lifelong friends here, and I love you guys. Um, but yeah, just to share some of my future plans as Pastor Ross um, shared. Um, as many of you know, I went to Ethnos 360 Bible Institute. It used to be called New Tribes Mission Bible Institute. Now it's called Ethnos 360, and that's in Waukesha, Wisconsin. So I graduated from there last spring, and now I'm going to Ethnos Training, which is a missionary training center in Missouri. So the Bible school is in Wisconsin. The missionary training center is in Missouri. So at the end of the summer, that's where I'll be going. And the reason I'm going is I just need to be... for um, yeah, I, just, I need to be prepared <laughs> for when I go to the mission field. And so studying things like worldview and animism and expe- specifically um, how to teach the Bible from creation to Christ in an animistic context. Um, and so, yeah, again, if you want, um, if you would like to hear further updates, you can sign up um, at the email or at the resource center um, so I can send you some updates. And I'd love to just hear how you guys are doing. Um, just keep me updated with how, how life's going for you guys. Um, but that's kind of what the next two years is going to look like for me. So I'm excited and I'm thankful for God directing my walking feet. Um, but hey, thank you. And those are my future plans. And I'll be here throughout the summer to, to keep you guys updated. But now let's turn our attention to God and his word um, as we go through Psalm 22. And so before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you through Jesus. God, we thank you that Jesus lived a perfect life that none of us here could live. And Lord, he died a gruesome death on a cross that we deserve to die. And God, more than that, he suffered your wrath so that we wouldn't have to suffer it. God, I thank you that forgiveness is found only in what you've done on the cross through Christ. God, thank you for Jesus. And God, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for just all the believers in this room, Lord, and that we can fellowship you, or we can, we can worship you and fellowship with one another because of what you've done on the cross. God, give me the words to say. Give me peace, Lord, and I just, I know this is your word, and I pray that it would be your word that is the center, and that my words would be directing to, to your words. And so it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so all of us in this room have experienced difficult seasons of life. 
whether it be physical suffering, emotional distress, or maybe even being bullied and mocked by others. Maybe you've lost a loved one, or you got laid off at work, or it's just something. We, we are all familiar with difficult seasons of life. And we're all familiar with the deep anguish that we feel during those trying times. And those feelings are real. They're legitimate feelings. When you hit rock bottom, you, you feel terrible. Like there's this real feeling of anguish. Maybe you felt abandoned, all alone, forsaken even. In fact, there might be some of you here today that are going through a particularly difficult season of life. And you're sitting in the pews right now and you're like, yeah, that's me right now. It's a tough time. But the question is, does our anguish lead to trust? Does our anguish lead to trust? Do we turn to God when we're going through hard times or do we turn from God? Today we'll, we'll be looking at the right response to suffering in times when we experience deep anguish. And King David is a perfect example of one who experienced real feelings of abandonment. And it led him to genuine lamenting and praying to God. And more significantly, it led him to trust. So let's take a look at Psalm 22. And if, if you're not there already, um, open your Bibles up to Psalm 22. And again, this is David responding to God in times of deep anguish. And we'll see that David's words to God go from lamenting to praise and then to many praising. It's fascinating. It goes from lamenting to praise and then many praising. And so if you're a note taker, I have two points. And I really think that these two points sum up the entirety of the passage. And so my two points are from the anguish of one to the praise of many. From the anguish of one, verses 1 through the first half of 21. And then the second half of verse 21, on on down to verse 31, to the praise of many. So from the anguish of one to the praise of many. And we're going to examine through this psalm that um, we're going to look at David's lens. And then towards the end of our time, we'll look at the psalm through the New Testament um, lens of the cross. When Christ is actually forsaken so that we wouldn't be. Now what's interesting about this psalm is that it doesn't include one word of confession of sin. Not one word. And it's also not imprecatory against enemies. It's not an imprecatory psalm. This psalm is primarily the account of a righteous king suffering amidst wicked men. A righteous king suffering amidst wicked men. So hold on to that thought. We're going to get back to that. That's super significant. So let's look at verse 1. And again, this is David speaking. David is the author of Psalm 22, under the inspiration of the Spirit. And he's crying out to God in deep anguish. So he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So David's saying, God, God, where are you? God, why have you abandoned me? God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we know, biblically speaking, theologically speaking, that God does not forsake his people. You know, he's, he's told us that I will never leave you or forsake you. He's told believers in Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So we know that God doesn't forsake his people. However, David's feelings, um, David is feeling real feelings of anguish. His feelings are real. He's saying, God, I feel forsaken. I feel abandoned. Again, the anguish and deep hurt that we feel at times are real and legitimate. When you hit ground, rock bottom, those feelings are real as human beings. 
But notice, even though David feels abandoned, he still refers to God as my God. In fact, from, from verse 1 through the rest of the psalm, David is turning to God in prayer, not from God. David is, David's anguish leads him to prayer, and as we'll, see, as we'll see, it leads him to trust. And that's so significant. That's huge. So as we move forward through the text, we see that David's suffering increases. Look at verse 2. David says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So David's been undergoing deep anguish for a long time. He feels no resolve. He's been kept up at night. Yet he he still cries out to God. Look at verse 3. And this is significant. We're going to see a pattern that starts. This is huge to see. David says, yet. After lamenting to God, after saying, God, where are you? He says, yet. Yet you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. So, so David goes from, God, where are you? Why are you so far from saving me? God, don't leave me. To, yet you are holy. Yet you are faithful. Yet our fathers trusted in you. So David considers God, David remembers God, and David turns to God um, amidst deep anguish. His cry of lament turns to trust. And this is a picture of the right response when overwhelmed with deep anguish, when you hit rock bottom. And again, we're going to see this pattern in verse 9. But look at verse 6. This is when David's anguish intensifies. We see his anguish intensifies and, and even his suffering. David cries out, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. David is saying, I'm worthless. I'm less than human. I'm a worm. We see in verse 7 that David is saying this because people are mocking him. They're wagging their heads at him. They're treating him like he's not even a person. In verse 8, the mockers surrounding him say, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. They're basically saying, David, if it's your God that you trust in, then let him rescue you. Where is your God in your distress, David? Where is he? They're mocking David. They're treating him terribly, and really they're mocking God. But what does David do? What is, what is David's response amidst deep anguish, amidst all this suffering? Um, what, what is his response? Amidst a, hateful crowd, amidst a hateful crowd, David remembers God. And David says, yet. Again, we see the same pattern. Look at verse 9. He says, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. Verse 10. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. So again, David's deep hurt, these real feelings that he is lamenting are intensified. His suffering is actually intensified. He's getting beat up and overtaken. He's amidst this hateful crowd. Yet he remembers God's faithfulness in his life. He turns to God. In verse 11, he acknowledges that no one can help him. No one can rescue him. Only God can. Verse 11, he says, God, do not be far from me. For trouble is near and there is none to help. We're going to see that in verse 19 as well. 
So, again, we see that David doesn't soften the real feelings that he's experiencing. He cries out to God in full honesty of what he's undergoing. Full honesty, like, God, this is what I'm feeling. He goes from, God, where are you, to, yeah, you've been faithful in my life. David seeks to trust God amidst a really hard time. Okay, so now, looking at verses 12 through 18, we see that David's suffering and his experience of deep anguish yet again increases. David says, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. So you have these people surrounding David, and these people are described as strong bulls of Bashan. Dia Carson he states, Bashan was an especially fertile area. It, is produ- uh, it produced the finest, strongest animals, which intensifies the imagery. So you have strong people, these strong people, gathering around King David, King David, opening wide their mouths at him. And this causes David to be in even greater distress. Look at this. He says, I am poured out like water, verse 14. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Now, a potsherd is a dried up, broken uh, piece of pottery. And so, ba- so David's basically saying, like, I'm brittle. I'm, a- I'm at the brink of shattering. That's how little strength I have. David says, my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust, in the dust of death. Amidst the powerful imagery... David is experiencing real anguish, and he expresses this to God. Look at verse 16. We see that the people are like dogs encircling him. They've pierced his hands and his feet. He's so malnourished that he can count all his bones. These people are staring at him, loading over him. They're dividing his garments. They're casting lots for his clothing. David is in deep distress, and he again laments real feelings of anguish to God. But look what David says once again in verse 19. He repeats the same thing he said in verse 11 and verse 19. He says, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. In deep distress... David once again turns to God, remembers God, and David intentionally chooses to trust God. Because he knows God is the only one that can deliver him. The only one that can help him. Verse 11, verse 19. So over and over again, we see that David doesn't soften his real feelings, and he chooses to trust God amidst a terrible time. Look at verse 21 again. This is where we see an end to David's lament. David cries out, save me from the mouth of the lion. God, save me. And then he says, you have saved me. So he's crying out to God. He's like, Lord, save me. And then he says, you have saved me. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, again, David is referring to his enemies when he says dogs, the mouth of the lion, the horns of the wild oxen. And this adds to the imagery of David's real suffering, his real experience of anguish. So, so David says, save me. And then he says, God, you have saved me. This is where the tone of the psalm does a complete 180. The tone changes from the king's lament to the king's praise. It goes from the anguish of one, King David, to the praise of many. And this is, 
This is huge. This is exciting. Now, there's two important questions to ask here. First, what is the rescue David experienced? And secondly, did David's immediate circumstances change? Now, we don't know exactly what David was rescued from or exactly all the things he was delivered from. But we do know that God did the rescuing. The focus is on the who and not the what. The focus is not on the circumstances changing. The focus is on God, the only one that can help and deliver. Verse 11, verse 19. So during times of deep anguish, hitting, you know, times when you're at rock bottom, it isn't promised that God will remove the difficulty of the circumstance. But he does deliver. And what's significant is that David's lamenting turns to praise. Look at verse 22. David says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. David goes from remembering God's faithfulness in the past to praising God in the present. And get this. He praises God not alone, but amidst others. He was just lamenting to God his deep feelings of anguish amidst a hateful crowd. And now he's praising God amidst the congregation. Look at verse 23. Here we see that this individual praise, David's praise, turns to corporate worship. David says, You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in all of him, all you offspring of Israel. Look at verse 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. Look at verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. All of the nations. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. <laughs> so from this event of deliverance in verse 21, we see David praising Yahweh, then Israel praising Yahweh, and then all the nations praising Yahweh. David's words, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, turn evangelistic, and they even turn eschatological, like meaning like the last days, because we know that people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language will praise God and worship him around his throne. And this is, the, these are, this is like the language used here. So David is not only thinking about Israel, but all of the nations. And this praise follows the deliverance in verse 21. That's, that's huge. That's so important to see. But the psalm doesn't stop here. Look at the last three verses, verses 29 through 31. David says, All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. So David's saying both the prosperous and the dead will worship God. Both the prosperous and the dead. From this deliverance experienced in verse 21, there will be many praising God. From the anguish of one to the praise of many. Look at verse 30, verses 30 through 31. David says, he continues, Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. <laughs> wow, so you have this message of God's deliverance, causing first David to rejoice and praise God then Israel praise God, then all the nations praise God, and then people not even born yet praise God. That he has done it, verse 31. 
So the question in view is how can people from all the nations praise creator God? Like, how can this happen? How can all the nations praise God? Is there something more to this message of deliverance? That's a very important question. And I've been, I've been holding off a little bit. I'm just thinking about the New Testament in this psalm. And so I just want to share a few things. What's sig- super significant about this psalm is that this psalm is a messianic psalm, meaning it's about Christ. The language used here is typology of what actually happens to Christ on the cross when he's crucified. King David wrote Psalm 22 1,000 years before Christ was born, and yet through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, many of the words and imagery, either literal or figurative, that David is using describes his immense suffering become a part of Christ's literal suffering as he is mocked and tortured on the cross 1,000 years later. And this is where my mind just gets blown because God's word, how he's put it together, is just amazing. This is so important. So think about Christ as I briefly go back through the psalm with just a few of the the language um, that was used. Going back through the psalm, we see that the king of the Jews is forsaken, rejected by the people. There are powerful people gathering against him. He's being poured out like water. His strength is dried up. His tongue sticks to his jaws. He is laid in the dust of death. Dogs encompass him. His hands and feet are pierced. He can count all his bones. People stare and gloat over him. They take and gamble for his clothing. After all this, he is delivered. This message of deliverance gets spread to all people. All the nations worship Yahweh because of this. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. And this affects people even when they die. So this is about Christ. <laughs> David's lamenting his... his um, when he's lamenting to God, these, these feelings of real anguish become literally true about Christ. So the last thing we must talk about when considering the right response to anguish is to look to Christ, the eternally begotten Son of God, who lived the perfect life without sin, but not without anguish. From the anguish of one to the praise of many. And this Christ is the answer to why all the nations praise Creator God. In fact, Christ is the only reason all the nations can praise God. All right, so let's turn our, our Bibles to the New Testament, and we'll be turning to Matthew. So you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. I want, us, I want us to see how the New Testament authors, here Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit, hearken back to Psalm 22, actually quote Psalm 22, when writing about Christ's crucifixion. I want us all to see what Christ went through for us. How, are you, how he responded in times of deep anguish, but more significantly, that he was actually forsaken. Like Christ was actually forsaken so that you and I wouldn't be. So let's turn to Matthew 27. So if you look at, um, yeah, if you look at verse 35, Matthew writes, And when they had crucified him, They divided his garments among them by casting lots. That's Psalm 22, verse 18. The Son of God was stripped of his clothing, and they gambled for it. Look at verse 39. 
It says, and all of the, or, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. That's Psalm 22, verse 8. Or sorry, <laughs> verse 7. The perfect son of God was ridiculed amidst a hateful crowd, his enemies. Look at, look at verse 43. Matthew writes, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. That's Psalm 22, verse 8. The righteous king of the Jews, Christ, endured the mocking of wicked men. The one who was fully God and fully man was ridiculed amongst, amidst a hateful crowd. Now look at verse 46 of Matthew 27. Matthew writes, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. Scripture was on Christ's lips as he suffered deep anguish. Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, was actually forsaken by his Father. So this brings us to another question that we, we've got to answer. And praise God, we know the answer to this. <laughs> but why did Jesus suffer God's wrath? Why did, why did Jesus go through all this pain? Why did he die on the cross? Guys, I'm here to tell you that Christ suffered God's wrath in our place because we have a problem. And that problem is sin. As we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Both Jews and Gentiles, all of us, every single human being, Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. All of us in this room are sinful by nature and by choice. We are all descendants of Adam and Eve, and we have all sinned against God. And because, because God is holy, he cannot have a relationship um, with us because of our sin. He requires perfect righteousness. And Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy God. We need somebody else's righteousness. We need, we need somebody who is perfect. The penalty for our sin is eternal death. Eternal separation from God. That's what we all deserve. Because we've sinned, we all deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, we sinned, but Jesus paid the penalty. He paid the penalty for our sin. That's what happened on the cross. This is why Jesus suffered God's wrath. We were supposed to suffer God's wrath, but he took it for us. He took the crushing in our stead. And like the song we were singing, the full cup of God's wrath was poured on him. He satisfied God's wrath. Isaiah 53, another Old Testament prophecy about Christ. And looking at the Old Testament on through the New Testament, these are my favorite passages to look at. Because it's just like... Man, a thousand years before Christ even walks on the earth, and God's just like, hey, I know what's going to happen. This is my plan. It's so, so amazing to see. But when we look at Isaiah 53, he says that the suffering servant, so Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Guys, Christ suffered in our place. And he is the only way back to God. When talking to his disciples, 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Guys, Jesus is the door. He's the only way. He's the, he's the Satan defeater. He's the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. He crushed the head of the serpent because did Christ stay dead? No, he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave conquering sin, death, and Satan. God the Father accepted Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. He was raised so that those who trust in him would be declared righteous, would be justified. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us through Christ. Christ's payment for the penalty of sin is only applied to those who look to the cross and those who receive him. John 3.36 says that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Guys, the gospel is by grace through faith. By faith, we are to accept what Christ has done on our behalf, We are to respond, and this response is simply receiving God's free gift of forgiveness through Christ. It's simply receiving what he's done. We are to look to to, to Christ. We are to look to the cross. And for those who don't look, for those who don't accept what Christ has done, the Bible says that the wrath of God remains on you. In the Old Testament, Numbers 21, we read about the Israelites complaining about the manna in the desert. And we read that the Lord judges them by sending fiery serpents. And many of the Israelites were bitten by these snakes and they were going to die. The poison was in their veins and they're going to die. There's no question about it. They're going to die. And then we read that Moses prays on behalf of the people and God tells Moses to make a fiery serpent and to set it on a pole amidst the people. So Moses makes a bronze serpent. And sets it on a pole amidst the people. God said, if any of the dying Israelites with poison in their veins look to the bronze serpent, they would surely be healed. And for all, all those that didn't look at the bronze serpent, they would surely die. The people were lurk, looking to the very thing that was killing them. What was killing them? These snakes. And what was raised? This, this snake. And if they looked to the snake, they would be healed. So what's killing us? You could say, yeah, sin's killing us. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin upon um, his shoulders. And what do do we look to? We We look to what's killing us. Our sin placed on his shoulders. And by simply looking and receiving what he's done, we are saved. And that's a promise. Full forgiveness, in full. In the Gospel of John, when Christ is talking to Nicodemus, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is talking about himself. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is why Jesus died. This is what the suffering of Psalm 22 is alluding to. If you accept Christ... You receive full forgiveness. If you reject Christ you don't, and, and you don't look to the cross, the wrath of God remains on you. The wrath that he underwent for you still remains on you. Guys, God has offered forgiveness to anyone that looks to the cross. To anyone who turns from their sins and accepts Christ by faith. It's free. 
God delivers us on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection. God accepted Christ's sacrifice. It's finished. We see that at the end of verse uh, of Psalm uh, 22. But we also hear, we also um, see that in Christ's words. He says, it is finished. So the last thing to consider as we look at Psalm 22 is to realize that we are to look to Christ when in anguish. When you hit rock bottom, when you're experiencing these deep, real feelings of anguish, consider Christ. Look to Christ who was actually forsaken for you so that you would be made righteous in God's sight. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. Jesus is the only reason why all the nations mentioned in Psalm 22 can praise God. We see, looking back through the New Testament lens of the gospel, that Christ is beaten and ridiculed by a hateful crowd, and then he is forsaken so that others can be saved. From the anguish of one to the praise of many. So you have King David... He is ridiculed by the people. He's amidst this hateful crowd. He's crying out in anguish. He's trusting um, in God. And then he experiences deliverance. And then all the nations praise, uh, praise God. And then you have King Jesus. We know the gospel. King Jesus, he suffers um, a terrible death and is mocked and ridiculed before a hateful crowd. And then he's delivered. He arises from the grave. And now you have all the nations being invited to praise God. And we know in the end times, when it's all finished, that there will be people from every nation, tongue, and language there. And Christ is right at the center of all that. So, yeah, this is just, this is amazing. This is amazing to me. So from Christ's resurrection onward, Israel praises God, all the nations will praise God, and people that aren't even born yet will praise God. We're those people that weren't even born yet, but now we're here. We have breath in our lungs. We're alive, and we're praising God. Why? Because of what Christ has done. He has done it. It is finished. Verse 31, and then uh, Christ's last words, some of his last words. So let's end our time with some um, points of application. I have seven points here, and let's just reflect on these all together. First, when in anguish, we are to turn to God not from God. Second, like King David and King Jesus, don't soften your lament. Cry out to God, but let your anguish turn to trust. Third, the response shouldn't be waiting for the circumstances to change, but turning to God in the midst of your anguish. Fourth, in our trials and suffering, we look to Christ, who was forsaken on the cross, so that we wouldn't be. When we cry out to God for deliverance, God delivers us on the basis of Christ and what he's done. Not on the basis of us, but on the basis of what, of what his son's done for us. The blood that was shed. Fifth, when you're experiencing deep anguish, when you've hit rock bottom and you're, you have these real feelings of, of lament and just anguish, let God's words be on your lips. Sixth, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, if you haven't looked to the cross, if you haven't turned from your sin and accepted Christ by faith alone, look to the cross. While you still have breath in your lungs, accept Christ as your Savior. Because we know that God, Christ suffered all of God's wrath, 
But those who don't accept Christ, those who don't turn from their sin and accept what he's done, the wrath of God remains on them. Christ took the crushing in your stead. He loves you so much. Seventh, as we've seen throughout the second half of Psalm 22, people will praise God around his throne. There are still nations and people groups who have not heard about Christ. There are even people groups out there that don't have one word of the Bible in their language. I got to visit one earlier this year. Let's obey Christ's last words to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, when he tells us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So whether you stay here in Lapeer or you go across the world, let's be a part of getting the gospel to the, to the least reached nations. Let's, let's spread, spread the gospel to our neighbors. And let's not just um, live a life of worship to our king in word, but also in how we live our lives. And let's all do this for the sake of his name. Whether you stay or go, let's do this for the sake of his name. Let's tell them about how Christ is the only deliverer. From the anguish of one to the praise of many. Again, God's word just fits together like a puzzle. And it's so exciting when you finally, you know, look at these little details and see how Christ is just the fulfillment of so many um, prophecies and even just the typology of the Old Testament looking forward. It's incredible. And what's, what's just incredible is that Christ was actually forsaken so that we wouldn't be. We have such a good God. Amen. And so, hey, before I pray, again, I just want to say... Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again for just allowing me to be here. I know most of you didn't know me at all. And just allowing me to be the intern. And <laughs> just what an awesome year this has been. And, and now I really feel like I know a lot of you pretty well. And, and I'm just so thankful for that. And just thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord. And just the example you've been to me. And just keep pressing on. Keep walking with, keep walking with Christ. And... Uh, and also just a few resources that I gleaned from. Um, I learned a lot from Mike Winger, Dennis McCallum, and then also Ross and Kevin. And so those are some of my resources. Um, thank you guys so much. Um, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for Psalm 22 and that, Lord, in deep anguish, we can look to you, the one who's been faithful the one who is holy, the one who is completely trustworthy. And God, I pray that our anguish would be turned to trust. God, I pray that that would be, that that would be our heart. Lord, whether, I know there's people here that's struggling, whether it be physical uh, suffering, Lord, or just emotional, uh, or even spiritual, Lord, that, that we would just look to you, get the attention off of ourselves and look to you. God, I thank you for Jesus, Lord, that you... That you poured out your wrath on him so that it wouldn't be poured out on me or any of the others here. And God, I pray if there's anybody in this room that hasn't accepted Christ as their Savior, Lord, that this would be the day of salvation. God, that is, that is your heart. You love us so much, and I thank you for your love. And I thank you for this church. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would grow us, um, not just in number, but, but
but in our relationship with you and just our fellowship with you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.